Songwriter, he's a Canadian turned Angelino. I think it's, I think that's what you call Angeline, Los Angeles people. <laughs> and he just released a new single today, or we're recorded on April fifth. It's called Neither Love Nor Money. I think I got it right. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. It's uh my pleasure to have the one and only Michael Rault. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So before this single, it's been like a couple of years since you've released music, right? Um, yeah, I've been, I guess it's been more than a couple. It's been, I think my last record came out in, um, May of 2018. So almost exactly, what is that? Four years? Yeah. Almost exactly four years, but Jeez. the pandemic and everything kind of pushed everything back a little bit further than it probably would have been otherwise. Damn. That's crazy. So did you kind of take like a hiatus of music or like, were you still like writing and recording during, I guess we're still in the well, pandemic. I was like almost completed this record. Um, when in March, 2020, when the pandemic came down. Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of time just kind of, it was kind of a halted, uh, process trying to figure out, just kind of stop and start for a while there trying to get this record done. So for a while I was just working really hard on trying to figure out the logistics of getting it recorded and getting it made given the new circumstances that arose. Mm -hmm. And then, um, in the meantime, played a lot with my girlfriend's band, uh, Pearl Charles, her band, I played uh, on her records quite a bit and, did quite a bit of studio work uh, as things loosened up. I mean, for a while, you know, in, it was pretty locked down here in uh, California. But once as it loosened up, I started to do some more studio work. I did some, I played some guitar on the upcoming record by a band called Drug Dealer mm -hmm. and uh, did a tour uh, as, as, as things started to open up even further. I did a tour on guitar for a band called Paint. I did some touring with Pearl Charles's band. I did some touring with, just as very recently, uh, got off this tour about a week ago with... Um, a band called Witch, which is a 1970s Zambian rock band um, that 
is reformed with some of the original members and sometimes myself as one of the guitar players. Uh, so no, I haven't really taken a break. Right. Um, just been kind of waiting for a while for the timing to be right to get this uh, latest solo record out into the world. Yeah, you came to Seattle in November, right? For a freakout fest. Um, yes, I did. And I was on tour with Pearl's band. And then also we played with my band there too, as well, actually. Oh. That was the one, one of two shows on the tour where the band switched and I was the front person, but it was still the same band that was uh, backing up Pearl. Um, the rest of the tour was all with Pearl stuff. But gotcha. that, yeah, we did do Freak Fest both with Pearl and with my band. Wait, so are you one of those people that considers your name as a band as well? Like, you know, some people are... I'm blanking. Well, I mean, not, I don't really but... consider it like as a band, but I, but it is, I mean, we don't go by the Michael Ralt band. Uh, so <laughs> it, it gets complicated when it's like, so it's same with Pearl stuff too. It's like, not like, it's not the Pearl Charles band or the Michael Ralt band. Although sometimes they say that on social media, just to be clear that it's not a solo set. Yeah. I very rarely play solo sets. So usually if you see Michael Ralt listed on a show poster somewhere, that usually means that there's a band involved in some way, Got shape it. or form. So the band that you do work with when you do shows is it the same people from has it been from a while? Pearl's band? Uh, it's been kind of so the band that I've been playing with it's you know it sometimes rotates a little bit but lately um, the band that I've been playing with has been the same rhythm section that Pearl the backup Pearl and uh, then also additionally a guitar player by the name of Jake Miles who's a talented musician from Austin he also joins in and sometimes Pearl's in the band. Um, I think we're going to be doing some touring actually where we kind of co-headline hopefully mm. in uh, the summer or fall. Uh, and that will be just exactly the same band, just basically set to set. It'll switch from being me to Pearl or vice versa singing. So singing and, and leading the band. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of what the formation is right now, yeah. but we'll see how things go along. It's that's a tricky thing about having a solo project is um, this, you know, by its nature, there's times that sometimes people aren't available for certain things. And particularly with so many shared members between Pearl's band and my band at the moment, I may have to find some people who are not going to be booked by Pearl at some point in time when yeah. we potentially double booked. But uh, we're just getting used to the uh, used to the whole touring life and uh, kind of normal life that we used to live, you know, three years ago or whatever, before everything changed. And now it's kind of back to normal, sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's that? What's that like dating uh, someone who's also an artist and a touring artist at that? Um, it's great. I mean, it's been really great in the sense. I mean, when we met, we were both working. She was uh, she managed to release a record during the pandemic, so mm -hmm. she was working on her record, Magic Mirror, and I was working on this record that just got announced today, and then we released the first single off of. Um, <clears throat> and her record ended up coming out quite a lot quicker in the sense that it came out in I don't know the early I can't remember what month it was, but relatively early on in the pandemic my thing wasn't quite finished and then we decided to kind of push the release back a little bit further even after we finished it so but anyways nonetheless long story short when we first met we were both working on these records and we were both kind of she sang on my record a little bit and helped with it and kind of gave me feedback and i played on her on that record as well as the subsequent stuff she's done since then mm -hmm. and that's been great I, at the time when we first met we were kind of like well these records you know we assume the records are probably going to come out within the next six months or something like that um when we first met maybe a year but you know we were assuming they would probably come out sometime in 2020 both of them and we would both tour them in 2020 so we kind of were like bracing ourselves for being like well it's gonna be interesting to see what it's like when we actually are both on tour like seriously um and we'll have to figure out how that is because it's difficult to be away from each other for like as much as that can 
bring you apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we haven't really done that yet. So ultimately, like I haven't released a record since then as, as the fates would have it. And she has only done, you know, only so much touring in this time, a, a little bit more than I have, but not a ton. And I've been on most of those tours, if not all of them. So we haven't really had to actually part ways yet, which I think is going to be the most challenging element of being professional musicians in a relationship. But yeah. I mean, I think we can figure out a way to make it work, but it's not something that I look forward to entirely, but I think we can, uh, we can manage. Wait, so you guys met before the pandemic or like right before the pandemic? We met, we met in May of tw- 2019, I think. And then I think I ended up coming down to LA um, mostly full-time down in LA, but I was kind of back and forth a little bit between my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta and mm-hmm. LA. And she was a little bit in out. Um, so I was only here like most of the time from August of 2019 forward. And then come March, I was like mostly here, but that was the moment that I had to decide basically what side of the border I was going to spend the pandemic on. Um, <laughs> we're closing everything down and I had no idea how long that was going to last. So I, that was really the moment that I guess like basically full-time became a American Californian resident and we spent the beginning of that in LA and then we eventually found our place right now where we're actually in Landers California which is uh, uh, around Joshua Tree so we're kind of splitting our time between Joshua Tree and LA at this point in time but oh, nice. now I guess it's been uh, three years or something since I've basically been down here uh, yeah getting, getting around there does that do you still like LA after being there during the pandemic there's like wasn't there like fucking fires and locked uh, yeah it was pretty nuts it was yeah there was there was a couple of weeks there where it was like just tons of protests which was great but it was like scary that there was like a curfew and and like tons of uh weird military presence in the city and there was like the skies were like uh blacked out by fire and <laughs> we were all just in you know stay at home or stay at home orders both because they're trying to control the protests and also because they were trying to control the virus yeah. and that those times you were kind of like walking around being like well this just kind of seems like this is the end of the world but uh i guess we'll just try to keep keep on keeping on through it and uh i I mean i love la it's a great place to be the fires and the earthquakes and stuff there's also a lot of couple earthquakes at that time too it really did feel like every (laughs) possible thing (laughs) exact same time but i do love la i I am happy to have our place in the desert to get away to because la's can be quite hectic you know it's just very tons of people all in the same place and i mean it's not like joshua tree actually is kind of getting more and more hectic as well but our place is a relatively decently sized property without a bunch of neighbors and the roads we live on aren't that busy so i kind of have a little bit more of a sanctuary here how how far away is joshua tree from la isn't like an hour or two right two and a half hours or so driving it's a little less during the pandemic when it was like more uh when it was more shut and when everything was shut down, but it's gone back up to two and a half hours now, basically with normal traffic and everything. How often do you have to, do you commute to LA ever? Or do you basically have all your, everything you need in your house? I have everything I need here. Um, Pearl commutes more often than I do, but I do still commute quite a bit. I mean, there's obviously more shows and uh, some of our band members are in LA and mm-hmm. there's wow. also more, a lot of the, if I get any outside work, like music work and stuff, it's probably going to be in LA. So I do the drive relatively often. Um, I'm kind of just getting settled back out here again for the first time since the last tour that I was just on with Witch. So I'm hoping to stay here for a while without having to leave and kind of just get re re uh, settled in out here. But um, 
we'll see. It's always all kind of up in the air with this with this lifestyle. Yeah. Wait, how long were you on tour and like how did you get connected with which? I was on tour with them for about three weeks, I think. Um, I got connected with them through. I toured with uh, Yako Gardner, who is a psyche uh, pop experimental guy from uh, the Netherlands. I toured with him in 2015, 16 or something like that uh, in Europe and a couple shows in the States. And we all got along really well. And um, ultimately we hadn't really talked in years. I knew that. So shortly after the time that I met all those guys and toured with them, they went to Africa, to Zambia and one of their friends who I'd met on when I was touring with them, um, this guy Gio and them and Nick Yako's drummer and Yako all traveled down to Zambia and made a documentary about like finding <clears throat> the lead singer of this classic Zambian rock band, mm. uh, this guy Jaggery. And they met up with him and they made the movie. And so I'd heard about this and I knew that they'd done a few shows reforming the band with Yako and Nick in the band mm. and um, whoever. And I like there's, they, I knew that they'd been doing this and basically at some point they needed a guitar player for North America. This was in 2019 as well. Um, and so I ended up doing a tour with them and it went really well. And then we were planning on being on tour quite a bit. And then out of nowhere, you know, the pandemic happened. <laughs> it's a reoccurring theme in all these stories, but this is the first time I've actually been able to get out with them and see all those guys again since um, I guess it was probably like, I think the last show I did with them was February of 2020 so oh, it was like wow. right on the verge of everything shutting down again and we had a bunch of stuff booked but then everything obviously got canceled and this is the first time i've gotten out with them again that's pretty dope so yeah it was cool how many members are in that band uh so in that band it's jaggery uh the lead singer the original lead singer of which is in the band he's 70 70 years old oh wow uh, touring there's, 70 that's crazy yeah i know it is pretty impressive um then there's uh patrick who is also from Zambia, who's slightly younger. I think he's like 65 or something, who actually li he lives in London, but he is he was actually the the band leader of which when they went into their disco phase, which is getting reissued a lot now too. They're actually like the two band leaders of which, but they're together in this lineup. Mm -hmm. Um and then the and then it's Yako Gardner on bass. Um it's uh, Nick on drums who used to play drums for Yako and plays with a bunch of cool bands and myself on guitar on this latest tour it was myself and this guy JJ Whitefield who is uh done a lot of really cool stuff like the Poets of Rhythm and the Whitefield Brothers and stuff some really cool records out of Germany he's a German guy sometimes when it's not him it's um Stefan who plays another guitar player and myself or sometimes it's those two and not me we have a rotating cast of three guitar players to try to cover everything because everybody's got a bunch of different projects they're doing but uh stefan has a project called leclerc uh which is also um which is he's also busy with sometimes which is why he couldn't do this tour and i did this one but uh yeah so it's a five piece with a rotating sometimes rotating cast of people so when people reach out to you is it usually to do guitar or do you do vocals on other people's tracks um, I, yeah, sometimes I just did a, I just did a vocal thing, like a featured vocal thing on a record that hasn't been announced yet or hasn't come out yet. So that'll be, I probably shouldn't say much about it, but sometimes that happens. It happened recently. And I guess I'll, that at some point in time, you'll see a artist featuring me as a singer coming out. Um, I get a decent amount of guitar stuff. I've done bass on people's records. Um, I play drums sometimes on my own stuff sometimes, but mm -hmm. I'm, I don't, don't really get 
I guess I've been doing that a little bit more on people's stuff recently, but that's probably my least strong thing. Uh, and I do keyboards on my own stuff too, but I don't usually get hired for keyboards or drums, usually bass or guitar and sometimes vocals, I guess, is the stuff that I do kind of as like a session guy for other people. Yeah. Wait, so what genre would you say you're in? Are you in, you're like psychedelic a little bit, but like you're probably in, you kind of fall under multiple realms, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like I, it's a little psychedelic. I, I mean, psych, psych rock is kind of like, I kind of feel like psych rock is like the folk music of like, of our generation, the way it was for the baby boomers. Like mm. I, in the sense that like all of the baby boomers and like my dad's generation, all these people all like played folk festivals and there's all these folk festivals that started all over the world. And whether or not you were a folk band or not, you oftentimes, if you were in that world in that age group and that sort of demographic, you would end up touring and playing all these folk festivals. And it sort of seems like psych rock has kind of done that for our generation in the sense that it's like, there's so many psych festivals. And if you're playing guitar driven or or just even like live instrument driven music if you're not falling into like edm or like you know hip-hop world like 100 then you kind of end up getting drawn into the psych world in the sense that so it's like even if you're not really psych rock you're going to play a bunch of psych fests and you're probably yeah. going to get classified as psych to some degree um <laughs> but as far as my stuff goes i feel like it's sort of psychedelic it's not really like falling 100 into the psych rock world the way it, it sort of is most truly defined nowadays but you know there are some psychedelic elements to it and psychedelic effects i kind of feel like i'm doing like uh i mean it's like i'm kind of influenced by like yacht rock and and soft rock to some degree with a lot of my new stuff and like um a little bit of like folk folk rock i guess too um but there you know and there's a little bit of psych sprinkled in there but yeah. i'm not really sure exactly what you would call the genre but it's sort of it's kind of coming out of a I feel like it's coming out of a relatively cohesive world where, you know, it seems like a lot of the genres I'm interested in exploring are also genres that like certain labels are reissuing things from that world and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's sort of fits into this sort of psych, soft rock, yacht rock kind of kind of thing. Yeah. I've like unintentionally had like my past two guests have been in psychedelic, the psychedelic. Oh, cool. Yeah. I just had, that um, this guy named Gianti who lives in Australia and he works with like Godier oh, cool. and people like that. And he then, works with Usain. What? Who, who who did you say he worked with? Like Godier. Oh, cool! Awesome, nice. Yeah, and then um, I don't know if you know them, but Communicant—they're from LA. The lead singer's name is Dylan Gardner, but it's kind of crazy. Might... Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm also not like I'm not the most connected LA guy because I have spent yeah. so much of my time here without socializing uh pearl pearl might have a better chance of knowing people from la than i do because she's actually born and raised there and spent a bunch of time there before they shut down the do, world like, <laughs> i'm just barely i'm starting to like get to socialize with people you know more now and meeting people that i'm like yeah, i've been living here for three years but yeah. nobody knows what about like in when you're living in canada are you, do you think you're like a pretty outgoing guy or do or do, do bands kind of like stick to themselves just like the members that are in the group or do you guys because I there's like I don't know if there's as much collaboration if, as compared to like hip-hop or pop or maybe even EDM because EDM works with like pop and um, hip-hop all the time yeah yeah I mean um it is true there's less there's I mean actually I might be getting to be more collaborative now mm. um I think like there's a scene like LA one of the great things about LA is like there really is a scene there it's one of the things that kind of drew me to living there was like there are a lot of people in bands that I like who are around 
um, at certain and there's certain like clubs and certain places you'll go that you'll meet you'll see all those people mm-hmm. like it's only a handful of places that they're probably going to go out I'm not the most outgoing person in the world I mean I think that like having a girlfriend and stuff also just makes it and now living in the desert makes it so that I'm not like necessarily trying to go out to the club or like to the bar like every all the time yeah. but uh you get you get out and about sometimes and I mean some of our band members are like living in LA and are more out and about so i don't know if it has anything to do with playing in the, a, a band or the type of music that we play whether or not you're going out all the time it just has to do with i guess the space you are at in your life right now i'm like very busy with uh music stuff and i have my studio out here in the desert and i'm living out here so i it gets harder and harder for me to like make it out and and kind of get to socialize more often but um when i do i enjoy it though and la is a good place to do it when you can yeah, what what do you do with the fucking desert? All you just you're just making music, or like I seem like that's like I live in the it, woods, and I feel like that's I don't know. I feel like the wood woods is more calming than the desert. You don't have to worry about fucking like scorpions and I don't know. We did have some scorpions for a while, but they're not deadly. But we got the place. It's the place we haven't had scorpions for a while. Um, <laughs> for a while. It's chill. I mean, the desert is very calm. It's very like still when it isn't crazy windy, and it's very like. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's really nice. It's beautiful. Our, the scenery and the view from our porch and stuff is really nice. You have a lot of space. Yeah. Um, it's very, like, you have a lot of room to make noise and to and to just kind of, like, do whatever you want to do with your life. So, I, mean, I mostly just do that stuff. There are really, I mean, the area that we're in around Joshua Tree is very, like, hip and cool. I mean, we're kind of a little bit outside of it, thankfully, because I don't really want to live in the middle of all of that because it's just going to get harder and harder to afford and, and make music and stuff. But... The um the area there are like some cool bars and places you can go and um both new and like classics like there's the classics like Pappy and Harriet's which I'm actually playing opening for which in uh, in June nice uh that's a really cool place that like Paul McCartney's played and stuff like that like oh, shit. it's a it's a really so I mean there's a lot to do even out here although I don't always partake in it sometimes I just kind of hold up in my house and in my studio and working and stuff. So are there still like, there's like neighborhoods in the desert? Like, are there, is there, are you in a neighborhood or are you literally just like in a house? Uh, there are just... neighborhoods. We're kind of more, Landers is a little bit less neighborhoody than some places. It's a little bit more like how, there are houses around. We do have neighbors, but they're just kind of like spaced out. There's parts of the desert out here that are like, actually feel like you're in like a suburban neighborhood with like houses just like right beside each other on blocks. But this is more like a block is like, you know, two houses that have a big huge property mm-hmm. or whatever it's more kind of like farm farm spacing although there isn't actually farms here but you know it feels more like you're in a farmland area yeah did you, who convinced two to move to the desert or did you guys both want to move that out there it was both of us pearl's family has a place out here that we would visit when it was unoccupied mm-hmm. um and that was kind of like a major escape for us from like the height of COVID in LA and so we would get uh we basically end up going to out here to kind of get away and when we found this this place kind of the place we live now kind of fell into our laps like very unplanned and when we found it I think we were kind of just basically like we should probably do this and luckily the landlord was into having us live here so Mm -hmm. uh it kind of was just like it kind of wasn't really either of us convincing each other it was more kind of like it just kind of happened in a way that was very clear that it was the best move at the moment yeah and uh, it still remains the best move i don't know i mean i would in some ways i'd love to live in la full-time but at the same time there's no way we could have the same resources and sort of living quality that we have here 
uh, on anywhere close to the same budget. If we were going to try to move to LA and live the same lifestyle we have right now, it would be like, we'd have to just be extremely rich and buying a crazy place in Malibu or something like that. Mm -hmm. So are you, are you an independent artist or are you part of any record labels? I'm signed to uh, Wick Records, which is a subsidiary of Daptone Records mm-hmm. uh, for the last record and the new and the, the one that's coming upcoming. Um, after that, I guess we'll see. That's my last record that I have signed with them for the moment. So, uh, you know, I mean, I am an independent artist, but I do I have been lucky enough to be signed for the last handful of records that I put out. Actually, I mean, I haven't really put out anything fully independently since I was very young, mm-hmm. but we'll see uh, what happens in the future. And how do you get connected with that record label? Um, with Daptone and Wick, I ended up, I went down to record. So the last record, it's a new day tonight. I recorded, started recording with them, but they hadn't signed me. I just like, like got them to agree to record me and I paid them for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and after I'd done a couple weeks of recording there, the plan was to take it and record somewhere else. But, um, Daptone ended up liking it a lot and they ended up, uh, asking if they, if I was interested in signing with them. So they signed me to their subsidiary wick which is like their rock and roll arm of their record label because daptone's kind of mostly known for soul and funk um and so they uh yeah they just kind of offered to sign me and we worked out a deal and so that was kind of how that happened um and now we've uh we've almost entirely uh gone through our whole agreed upon period and it's been great working with them though for the time that we've worked together so really happy that we were able to do that so when like when you're a canadian as an, an artist in Canada, um, is it kind of a given that you're going to move to LA or is there enough resources in Canada to become a thriving artist? Cause even if you look at like Drake or the weekend or any of those guys, they kind of, they, they think they have houses in LA. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think that, um, depends on how you want to do it. There is sort of a, I kind of, at least the way I felt growing up, I mean, I, growing up, I kind of felt like there was like a path that would, possibly allow you to like stay in canada and just be popular in canada and maybe make sort of a decent living there uh, i kind of felt like the difference between the states and canada in my mind was that there wasn't really the possibility of being an underground artist in canada in the same way mm-hmm. just because the population is so much smaller like california has a bigger population than canada that's crazy so <laughs> yeah so it's like you can't to in order to like maximize your potential in canada and in order to like yeah, and the drives are just it's like i mean you know north america compared to europe in general is so much more spaced out and so much like less densely populated but like in america it's better than it is in canada in canada if you're driving across like the trans canada highway you're gonna like drive for a very long time with like nothing around and you're gonna a lot of the towns that you're gonna end up playing if you're just touring on that route are gonna be very small so in order to have that be worthwhile whatsoever for you you need to like basically i think be doing something that sort of fits some sort of mainstream canadian market and that pretty much means you have to either get some major like cbc backing or some like major sort of like mainstream rock radio backing if you're doing i mean those are the two avenues that would have been somewhat potentially possibly open to me but i never really felt like musically artistically i felt i would have i would have felt like unnatural trying to fit into either of those like either of those templates mm-hmm. um so for me i kind of was seeing certain bands that were like doing underground uh rock and roll and garage and psych or whatever down here especially at the time for me i felt like i fit more into that although 
I still don't really feel like I fit into any particular template hundred percent, but I, I was looking at these bands and like, you know, they were able to be not really accessing the mainstream and able to like still seem seemingly do really well and make a big name for themselves because I mean, for some bands that are coming out of California, as I said, the population is bigger than Canada. So they could just like tour, even if they were just touring like regionally to begin with, they'd be touring the same amount of population that I'd be touring <laughs> in a wild. like, you know, like a much smaller amount of driving, much smaller amount of like hardship to get to those places. And, you know, then they have the potential to grow out of state and grow. And, and, you know, basically if they're even, if they're accessing just even a small percentage of the American population, with their sort of niche music <laughs> it's just way better than accessing that same population percentage in canada because that will just not allow like you're gonna have to get a job you will not you will not be able to do this for a living you'll have to have a day job um which you know and not that i've avoided having day jobs 100 anyways but there was certainly no question of what was gonna have to that i was gonna have to figure out something else other than just play music if i stayed in canada doing it the way i wanted to do it so yeah. that was kind of my take on that am i Am I wrong here? But isn't there like a part of Canada that's like uninhabitable? Um, probably. I mean, the uh, like it. I mean, where I come from, it's very cold. Many people would find it uninhabitable. Edmonton, Alberta, is like one of the most northern cities of its size, and it's yeah. in the world. And it's a, uh, it's you know, it's over a million people in the greater metropolitan area or whatever. But it like gets colder than the surface of Mars sometimes in the winter. It gets down. To- <laughs> negative 50 degrees celsius um it's extremely cold and i mean you go up further north than that it's even colder uh or at least cold that cold more often Mm -hmm. and you know there's parts of of like the the forest and the tundra or whatever that are like extremely densely forested and like very hard to survive in even for like survivalists or whatever so yeah yeah there's parts of canada that are very uninhabitable can you go skiing there? Do you ski at least? When it's I've skied cold? a little bit as a kid. I have, I've, I have like a, one, my grandpa was like a championship skier. So it's very much in my family, but I like, I've never gotten ser- seriously into it. I do it very casually, but you can ski. Edmonton's only like a, I don't know, a couple hours drive east out of the Rocky Mountains. So mm-hmm. there you can get over into some really nice mountainous ski slopes relatively easily. Wait, how does that work for, um, if you so if you, you live in the United States, doesn't that mean you have to like go back to Canada every couple months or years to? Is what is it called? Again? Not not for me because I've got a I got a a visa that is like allows me to be a resident here that lasts uh, three or four years. I can can never remember, but I got a little bit of time left on my last one. Yeah, I mean it's expensive and annoying to have to always pay for visas, but it allows me to uh, stay down here and work and live. So do what you got to do. That's crazy you have to pay. So on top of actually like if you have a car and fucking house or whatever you have to pay to actually live in another country, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, only every few years on the kind of visa that I'm on, but it is expensive. Yeah. It does it does uh, add up. If I ever think about the amount of money I've spent on visas <laughs> over the last decade or whatever, it's like not the most pleasant thing to think about. But somehow it always comes together, and we always I always find the money somehow. So so far so good. I wonder if there's any record label, like if there's like an artist at a record label really wants, if they'll cover an artist's visa. They do sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes, I, I mean, I, they sometimes pay for it. I mean, it's probably just out of your, you know, most of the time it's probably just out of your advance or whatever. Like they gave you an advance True. and you're like, okay, part of this is just going to go towards paying for me being able to come down and play shows and stuff because it's going to be pointless yeah. for you to put this record if I can't support it in the states so uh it it kind of works out that way usually 
Yeah. Well, so living in the desert though, you don't you don't look pretty. You don't look that tan. Do you do you tan well or what's the deal with that? Uh, well, it's just barely getting hot now. I mean, uh. I've been gone here from a month and it was basically still winter when I left. Which winter in the desert is cold, but that I mean not not like cold like where I'm from, but coldish. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, it's just it's hot now. So I think I've got a little bit of sun just the last couple of days. But it was kind of crazy to come back and be like, whoa, it's a totally different. Uh, climate than it was when we left. There's a lot of wildflowers now. I mean, not a lot, but a lot for the desert. But no matter what, it gets cold in the nighttime, right? In the desert, or is it in the in, in the best times of year? Like at right now, the 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 nighttime is like nice, and the daytime is nice. As it gets into the actual like height of summer, it'll be like unbearable in the daytime. But then the nighttime will be like like warm in a in a nice way. Mm-hmm. But in the in the winter. It definitely it always cools off in, in the nighttime, but in the winter it's like actually cold and then really cold at night, and then in the height of summer it's just like really nice and in, like you know warm in the nighttime, but really extremely hot in the in the daytime. Awesome. Is there any so are there any like crazy animals and insects out there besides scorpions? There's like road runners, which are really oh, cool. Shit. I really love the road runners. Uh, there's scorpions, which I've had to capture and release a few. We've there's rattlesnakes, but I've never seen any around our house. I've seen some on the roads and stuff occasionally. Um there's coyotes. Coyotes are all over the place. There's um but there's a lot of coyotes in LA too anyway. Yeah. So uh but there's a uh, what else is there? Those are the most exciting ones that I've encountered so far, but it's it's pretty cool. There's a lot of crazy wildlife out here. Are they cre- are scorpions? I I don't know if I've really seen many scorpions. Are they creepier than spiders, do you think? Or are they like less creepy? Well, they freak you out. I mean, there's also, oh, there's also uh, black widow spiders out here too. Um, But the, I mean, scorpions are are pretty crazy. Seeing them is weird. I I found like a, I think maybe like one of their shells when we first moved into this house. Yeah. And I like couldn't tell. I was like, is this like a toy or something? But Uh. then I realized I was like, no, it's actually a scorpion. And then it was actually another year or so before I actually saw some living ones around here. And then we had a non-toxic exterminator come over and do some like non-toxic spraying so we wouldn't mess up the ecosystem but since then we haven't had any inside the house which has been great but they're not are they big though or like how are they like they're like like this like maybe like this big like from like head to tail like the size in between my finger and my thumb not huge i don't think they're the biggest ones ever but they're kind of not also not maybe the smallest ones but they're not the most poisonous ones Mm -hmm. and i didn't know that when i was dealing with them at first but I talked to some people later and I was like, man, I had to like capture this scorpion. And they're like, oh yeah, well the good news is like, unless you're allergic, which I don't know actually if I am or not, but it was like, unless you're allergic, it won't kill you. It just hurt. It like, is like a bee sting or something. What about, uh... but there are, I think there are breeds that are much more painful and damaging to humans when they bite them, but not the ones that live in this part of the world. Do they, don't, they don't have as many legs as spiders. Do they? I think they have less. Yeah, I think they maybe have four legs and then a tail, maybe. maybe I don't really four? remember. I wasn't really counting when I <laughs> was dealing with them. But uh, yeah, they have like the little like face and then they have, I think, four legs. And then a, oh, don't they have like, like pinchers too? Don't they have like fangs and stings? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. I think they have pinchers on, the t- on their front legs and then they have... And then they have the stinger tail. We should make like a documentary show about... They're pretty nice. Ones. They're pretty, really interesting. I think they. I think they're creepier... Because they look like they have like spiders with armor, but they have less legs. I think the leg thing is what creeps me out for whatever reason. Having that many legs, I don't know. Like I feel like if I saw someone with six fingers, that'd creep me out. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, a. I mean, they're pretty freaky. They're kind of a little scary, but you get used to this stuff 
being out here. I mean, I encountered before we even moved out here when I was just visiting, I encountered my first uh, black widow. And that was definitely coming from Canada. I was just definitely very like, it's not, I mean, I found out again later that you wouldn't die if you got bit by a black widow, but it would like burn a hole in your flesh and create this like weird, like, like this weird sore that you'd have to get treated. And you could die again if you're allergic or whatever, but it's like probably not going to kill you. The rattlesnakes would kill you if they bit you, which I've luckily never had any close. I've never actually had to you know deal with any rattlesnakes hands on. I've seen them, but always like, in a car or something when I see them and I just leave them be and there's no problems. Very nice. Well, let's, t- let's talk about this record. I think it's pretty, yeah, sure. it's, it's pretty funky, right? I, I'd, I'd say it's a pretty funky record for you. The the new, the newest one. Yeah. New. It's, it's got some funky moments in it. It's got some uh, kind of runs the gamut. Once you hear the whole thing, it's got stuff from kind of ranges from the new, the first song we put out, neither love nor money is kind of like in a slightly funky disco-y mm-hmm. place but kind of for me coming more out of like paul mccartney like stuff that has that sort of vibe or like or maybe like ned Dohaney or something kind of i guess kind of coming out of like more of a yacht rock kind of place mm-hmm. which really is like blue-eyed soul from the 70s really i've realized as i've listened to it more so it's kind of like it's got some elements of funk and some influence from funk and, and disco and stuff, but it's kind of coming from a particular place with that stuff rather than being 100% down the middle funk or disco. Um, then there's songs that go range into slightly folky ter- folkier territory, like acoustic guitar driven with like harmonies and stuff, which in a way is kind of more similar to the last record. Mm-hmm. Um, some stuff that's a little bit, more like the last record in the sense of being kind of like pop pop rock driven uh stuff kind of it kind of uh runs the gamut it's got a bunch of different bunch of different flavors and looks for the listener whoever dares to listen to it so were were you saying that disco is making a comeback uh i I didn't say that but it might be uh i I thought you were saying that about the zoom i i I might have said that sometime uh the uh (laughs) disco i mean pearl's done a lot of disco stuff with her a little bit of leaning into sort of I mean, her on her first album that she put out since we've been together, she had a song called uh, Only for Tonight that's like kind of an ABBA homage. Mm-hmm. And we actually put out a song that we co-wrote together. She put it, I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not the artist involved in this, but I co-wrote it with her, this song called Giving It Up. That's kind of leaning into sort of a Bee Gees-ish sort of territory. And now I got Neither Love No Money, which I guess is kind of leaning into sort of like a McCartney 2 sort of take on disco vibe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seems like some people are referencing it. I mean, I think everything I, at this point in time in the way that the internet works and the way that modern media and culture works, I feel like everything is having a comeback and also is out of style Yeah, at the exact same time, depending on who you're talking to. Like you could be into a band, you could be into a scene into a certain type of band or whatever that was putting out a certain type of thing five years ago. And so you could be hearing some other band doing it now, like six years after you got into it being like, wow, they're really like behind the times. That stuff isn't cool anymore. Someone else could be listening to it simultaneously being like, whoa, I guess that's like what's going on now. So, I mean, I really don't know what's having a comeback or what's like, what's contemporarily uh, applicable. I just feel like things are just kind of all happening at the exact same time. What I did call though, I I called pump, I called that pop punk was going to make a comeback and it did. I made a whole. Well, album. that's true. Yeah, it's in a mainstream sense. Pop punk is definitely the thing that's having a comeback. It seems that seems to be have infiltrated the the mainstream pop charts in a way that is undeniable. Yeah, I um, fuck, it might have been a year ago now. 
or maybe over the summer, I forget, but I have a second podcast. It's a conspiracy podcast. It's mostly focused on conspiracies, but like the one of my last episodes, well, I guess almost a year ago now, it was about the return of pop punk. And I had a um, theory that on Kanye's new album, there was going to be some pop punk elements because like, I feel like whenever Kanye drops a project, it incorporates what's currently cool and what's going to be cool. Right, and yeah, yeah. With with Donda, I was like, there's going to be some pop punk elements, I bet you. And then the first song, Jail, it kind of has like a pop punk element to it. And it just mm. won a Grammy. So like he was, I nailed it around the head and he won a Grammy for it. So that's kind of. Pop punk is back. It's un, it's undeniable at this point in time. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. We'll see how long that lasts. It's hard to say, but it is, it is interesting that it is so incredibly undeniably. So yeah, that's definitely happening. Yeah. If disco ever ends up getting to that place again in the mainstream, <laughs> then, you know, then we'll, then I, I can agree. It's having a comeback at this point in time. It's definitely. I just def- I he- I see a lot of bands that are doing you know beyond me and Pearl. I see a lot of bands that are referencing it and bringing it in. But it's also like it's also one of those things. I think even more so than pop punk, it's like disco is like always around and always because it's just like I don't think anybody dislikes danceable, groovy. Yeah. Like like the things that define disco in my mind are like great production and great grooves and great like musicianship with like really strong rhythmic elements so it's like that's never really out of style people like that stuff even if they pretend they don't like it they probably like it you know they probably listen to it when they're even if they're like into way cooler stuff they probably listen to it in private when no one's watching so i feel like it's like disco is never really fully out of style yeah so i think it's safe to say your 2018 project was pretty successful and with yeah. Yeah. and with that i love so because um my audience is a mix of uh, music fans, but also musicians themselves. And I'd mm. love to hear um, whether it's some pointers or steps that you know happened for that project to be successful so other artists can uh, kind of brainstorm on how to either market their projects or what, yeah, basically how to market their projects and... Um, Maybe some of the steps you took. Um, you know, that's an interesting question. I'll give you my best advice I can. Mm-hmm. I think in this day and age, everybody uh, is mostly just figuring it out as they go along. So, I mean, I guess the best advice I can give is like, just try to figure out a way to make the best records you can make, uh, like whatever path is available to you at any moment and make them and put everything you can into making them once you've found the best, you know, the best collaborators or studio or space or whatever to do whatever you're doing to the best of your abilities and put it out and just like i think ultimately it's good to get into a state of like flow these days i think i think that maybe the times that i've been the most uh unproductive in my life have been when i've been really caught up trying to make like the perfect thing Mm. at any given time because i think that generally it's really more about figuring out how like what the best way to do what you want to do right in that moment is and do it and put it out and ultimately you know everything lives on the internet forever now um and so all the things that i've put out are like generally sitting on the internet still and they're all gaining new fans it's kind of interesting to be putting out a new record now that 2018 record i think has grown a lot of has like a lot the fan base for that record has grown a lot in the last few years and i i only toured it really solidly throughout 2018 wow. and i've only done sporadic shows since then so i haven't been like really out there like promoting it or um 
which I don't necessarily advise. As a, as it's probably better to be <laughs> promoting it more. But I wasn't really, so I kind of wasn't, I was out of touch with the growth of it. But I kind of like continually throughout the last couple of years without uh, leading up to this new release, had more and more people reaching out to me who found the record and like it. Um, you know, sometimes like relatively prominent musicians here hitting me up or, or actors or, you know, or just, and also just like, you know, people who are just cool people are hitting me up and being like, oh, I love that record. Mm-hmm. And it's brand new to them. Um, and ultimately I just, I'm starting to realize that it's just, um, good to just make, and, you know, and I think that's the lesson in that record for me is that like, I made that record the best I could at the time and I put it out and it did as well as it did, but ultimately it is now still continuing to connect with people and stuff. So, I mean, I think like without, without getting too slapdash about it and sacrificing the quality of what you're making, like still try to see everything through to be as good as it can, rather than just getting caught up in. Uh, putting out a large volume of stuff, but at the same time, once you've done as good as you can with something, just put it out. And, you know, I think that in this, in my experience as a relatively underground independent artist, the way to make a fan base is to like have everything you've worked on out available and do a lot of stuff so that people can like slowly start to find you through all these different avenues of these different projects that you've worked on because you know, it might be different, I guess, if you got signed to like a major label or a really big major indie and, and kind of just got blown up out of nowhere off of one thing. Yeah. Maybe that's requires a different approach. But if you don't have that uh, avenue available to you, then it's really about just making as good as this, as good uh, as much of and as the highest quality stuff as you can. And and I think that just like will start to find more people in the way that, you know, the algorithms and the Internet works over time. Yeah. That's an interesting take because I know there's some artists, even some of my friends that make music, they, after a few years, they like to delete their old music and be like, oh, that was the past me. Now I'm 2022 me and I want to release this project and this is the only thing I want people to have seen by me. I mean, I get that and I guess that is a way to do things. I've been tempted to do that at times, but the tricky thing for me is like, I've been doing this for a long time now. I'm getting to be relatively veteran and it. I mean, it's like I could, uh, there are things, I mean, it's always, a, it's a tricky path to negotiate. It's like what, at what point you stop to go back in your history, what point you stop acknowledging this is like official releases or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've put out enough records now on, on like legitimate labels that it's not even up to me to delete them anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess at some point in time, if the licenses revert back to me, I could at that point in time make them unavailable but for right now they're all still licensed to labels that are the ones who are marketing it and have all the uploads under their accounts and everything so it's like at a certain point you stop being able to control it and as you get older and you do this stuff more i feel like you start to realize like really where are you going to draw the line i almost can't relate to any record i made like two years after i made it mm-hmm. i mean i might like it but it doesn't feel like my record anymore so it's like are you going to then start deleting everything you've ever done i think it's more like for me i think it's more of a internal uh, like mental acknowledgement of the fact that like these records don't necessarily summarize who I am anymore and they aren't like really connected to me in like a very personal way anymore but I doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that they should be taken down and it also doesn't necessarily mean that like that somebody who finds it as a new thing won't love it and also won't be able to necessarily get into everything else I'm doing now like they might be able to see more of a general idea of who I am in it and then connect to me as an artist more generally than I'm able to when I listen to it, yeah. you know, like they, when I listen to it, I just really hear that time period. Cause I'm me. So like whatever the element of me is, is like, so 
part of everything that I've worked on and part of my everyday life that all I'm hearing is like that specific record at that specific time, whereas somebody else doesn't know me and isn't me. And so they might actually be able to see a more uh, general perception of who I am from whatever record they get into. And that might help them get into all my discography. So, I, I mean, from my perspective and from my life, I think it's probably a good idea not to be deleting every old record constantly. But, you know, if if you have a really good for somebody else, you know, it might there might be a really good plan that involves making it all seem completely fresh and new and putting up something and taking everything else down. Right. And if that works for you, then you should do it. It's cool, though, because it's a uh, you're basically saying <laughs> without saying it, you're, it's like a time capsule for you. Yeah, it's got it's kind of a time capsule, yeah. I, but it's also like a time capsule that like I don't even like listen to really. Mm. <laughs> it's like I mean, it's a time capsule for someone else. I've, I've definitely like taken, you know, like Fela Kuti always said that he like every record once every song once they recorded it was dead. Mm. And I've heard Mick Jagger say that he never listens to his old records. I've heard Bob Dylan say that he never listens to his old records. Um, in fact, like Bob Dylan, like everyone always complains about how he plays the song so differently all the time when you go see him. But like I've had people who like know him or have worked with him and stuff say that like it's like the thing for him is he hasn't heard like you listen to like a Rolling Stone like the on the way to the show and you're yeah. like man I can't wait till he plays this song so you have the idea of how that 1968 or whatever it's probably earlier 66 or something, like recording sounds and you're like waiting for it he's up there and he's playing it and he hasn't heard that recording since he recorded it in the studio the day <laughs> he recorded it so he doesn't even know how it sounds um which like is an extreme extreme version of what i'm talking about i don't know if i'll ever be that extreme but i'm i do i'm learning that it's like you really do have to just kind of divorce yourself from the older records um you can like figure out how to play them live as best as well as well as you can and, and tour them and and maybe even incorporate some of the old stuff into the set in order to like you know satisfy the audience to some degree but it isn't really something for me to like look back at or think about too much. I don't think, cause I think I just need to keep doing other stuff. I think it starts to get kind of unhealthy and a little bit uncomfortable to like continue to look at old stuff and expect to see some sort of like recognition of yourself in it. It's like, kind of like it is, it's just so old and so weird. It's just kind of like messes with your head. Right. So are you, are you not nervous for your, do you not, are you not going to be comparing like your, what's the name of your new project you're about to release? June 10th. Uh, the new album is just called self-titled it's just michael Rall. uh and yeah just michael Rall. michael Rall. are you are you so you're not going to be comparing michael Rall to what and what's the name of your 2018 project it's a new day tonight it's a new day tonight are you not going to be comparing those two projects and like are you not nervous about the reception of this one compared to the last one i mean you can get nervous about it sometimes i'm not going to compare them they're very different records mm. um Every once in a while, I occasionally listen to something and I, I mean, it's like you might listen to something that's older and be like, oh, you know what, actually that one element of what we were doing then that we didn't do on the new thing was like a cool, that was a cool thing that maybe we should explore a bit more like in on a, on a future thing. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just impossible to like, it's impossible to assess these things. I think it's just kind of like, I think ultimately you just kind of have to accept that everything is just kind of its own thing. And just kind of let it be that and uh, yeah, and keep making new stuff. I think the key thing for like not losing your mind as an artist is making new stuff because that's like actually like exciting and fun and in the moment and kind of puts you in touch with like this who you are now and what's going on in your life right now. And old stuff is always just kind of like 
sometimes it can be enjoyable if you're in the exact right headspace to look back at it and hear it just as being like, well, it's kind of cool. That was like, we would, I would never do that now. And like, also like the people who were involved that time, like I maybe am not as close with or whatever. It's like all these things about it that like are make it uniquely that moment and couldn't be done any other moment that can be really cool in a way, but at the same time, it can also, if you listen to it it, with the wrong headspace, it can just kind of feel weird being like, like that's supposed to be me. Like, you know, it's just like looking at old photos too. You know, I think people have similar, similar reactions sometimes to being like, Whoa, look at how I used to look back then. Like, Oh, look at that kind of shirt I used to wear or whatever. It's like, just like, you know, or like, Oh, I used to wear my hair like that. Or, I was used to be so skinny, whatever. I don't know. People I just like has all this emotion attached to it of comparing yourself to an older version of yourself that I, it makes it so that I think, I think most artists come to be sort of unable to enjoy their own records as much as other people do. I think that's pretty common in people I've talked to. And also a lot of my idols, like, you know, majorly famous, talented people. When I read their take on listening to their own stuff, I've, I've seen it as a common thread that it's like, you have to accept the fact that you really live inside a piece of work for the entire time you're making it and eventually when it's done i think you kind of have to let it go and maybe not listen to it very often maybe every once in a while if you're really curious and you want to know what was going on with that record again but i think that it's unhealthy to continually look back at it too much because it really is just too much of you in it and it's just a weird reflection of an old version of you that will just drive you crazy in my experience that would be yeah i feel like that would kind of be weird if you had like your own music in your playlist I mean, they make you do that sometimes for the record labels because they want you to like make a playlist of stuff. And then like for like some mag, like it's like such and such magazine wants to make a playlist, but they want you to include your song on it. And and it's funny because you'll like find the playlist on your computer sometimes like hey this is a good playlist and put it on and then your song comes on in the middle of it and like i'm always cringing. like, oh, like, just, like <laughs> i'm like running over the computer to switch it to the next one I'm like i don't need to hear that i, I liked all the other stuff and put on this playlist shit so what are your goals as an artist like do you want to be touring when you're 70 like 70s like the zambian band or how do you feel i don't know that that's true uh, i i don't know i mean i think um my goals my goals are more general than that, I suppose. I think my goals goals as an artist are to make, you know, better and better stuff, to find my own voice and style clearer and clearer, and to be able to explore and experiment with things that I'm interested in mm-hmm. when I want to explore and experiment with them. Um, and, and I guess from a, that's like, I guess, the very personal side of it. From a more business side, I suppose I'd like to, uh, I would like to grow as large of an audience as I can and have uh, as much you know, I, I it, largely because not really because because I like desire fame or money, but I I do just want to have as much sort of like stability and uh, uh, ability to like keep making music and keep living a, a reasonable life, and so that requires a certain amount of success. And so, like that's kind of generally what I'm hoping for is like a, an ability to not compromise the things that I want to work on and compromise like my vision and. Uh, and an ability to keep doing what I want to do and live a reasonably decent lifestyle. So that kind of requires me to uh, succeed in music. So that's how it all kind of comes together for me. Yeah. And that could, and that could be like, you know, how that takes form. Um, I don't really know exactly how that will take form in like, you know, in one year from now, let alone um, 40 years from now when I'm in my seventies, but I'll be like, uh, you know, I, I just kind of have to like, it's so- just, try to make the decisions and do the things that allow me to like keep those core goals of what I want to do with music 
going in a good way as much as possible. Because yeah. uh, I feel like, you know, I mean, this day and age, like the music industry is crazy. Very few people know what direction it's going in. And like, um, I, I could see touring being a thing. If touring is a thing where it's like what's making me money and what's spreading the word about the project and what's allowing me to like take some time off occasionally to get into a studio and make a record that I really enjoy or, or, you know, spend some, take some time off and spend some time with some people that I really care about or something, then touring could potentially be a big part of my life into my, you know, into my golden years. But on the other hand, I could also, if studio work or if something else is the thing that kind of facilitates that, then I suppose I might go more in that direction. Um, Maybe in your seventies, um, someone will find you in Joshua tree and make a documentary about reuniting you. We (laughs) talked about this, me and some of the other guys in the witch project were talking about what it must feel like from Jaggery's perspective once when he wasn't with us. And I was like, I mean, it would be awesome. If you think about it, if you think about being like an older musician and somebody, a bunch of young kids who are cool, who are like good musicians who can actually make your band work in a cool way in a modern sense are like, find you and tell you how much they loved your old records and how much they want, like, and then basically do all like just organize it all, find a booking agent, put the band together, do everything and just bring you out. I was like, that'd be awesome. If I was 70 and a bunch of kids found me like that and just were like, you don't even have to worry about it. We're just going to make it sound like the records you made in like 2015, 16, 17, 18 or whatever. And then we're going to back you up. And all you have to do is come out and like play some guitar solos and sing. I'd be like, hell yeah, that sounds like super easy. (laughs) That's way easier than putting it all together by yourself. So that it does seem like a nice, it's almost like a nice uh, way to, uh, it's a nice way to operate when you get to a certain age, if, if you can, if you can swing it, if you yeah. can get a bunch of young guys to do a bunch of the logistical stuff to just make it so you can come out and do your thing and play a bunch of your classic tunes that that could be fun. Yeah. Someone's going to find a new day tonight in a, like a futuristic record store. And they're gonna be like, Oh, <laughs> we need to find yeah. this Michael Rolt guy. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what everything will be like at that point in time. That'll be, that'll be, that's an interesting concept to ponder. What yeah. would a futuristic record store be like? Will there be records there? Will there be CDs? Will there be any sort of physical store selling anything? But yeah, somehow yeah. in that in that futuristic world, if somebody found me and wanted me to do a reunion tour with them, I'd, I'd be open to it. Yeah, this is pretty general, but I wonder what what it, what if if an artist makes better music before they make money or after they're pretty solidified and have the money to make music if i had a if i have a, i mean i don't I can't speak to that uh from experience because i've never made enough money to potentially ruin my <laughs> drive. but um i if if i had to guess i would think you know they say like st- i've at least heard it said that studies on uh quality of life are that like below a certain threshold of income your quality of life is is you know affected to its detriment by your lack of money. Mm-hmm. And then above that level, it gets better for a while, but then it hits a certain place where you're too rich and it can actually start to like be detrimental to your sanity and your, uh, and I don't know, your state of happiness to some degree. Um, at least that's what I've heard. Although it is hard to imagine how it would be so bad to have an insane amount of money and be one of those billionaires running around. I guess unless you're con- unless you have a conscience, then you might actually feel bad about it. But if you don't, it sounds like it'd probably be pretty fun. Yeah. But um, I, I I would imagine though that there's probably a sweet spot where it's like obviously it isn't helpful for you as a musician to be so broke that you ha- can't find the time to make music because if you're broke, 
you have to figure out other ways to make money. And if you have to figure out other ways to make money, you might find yourself not able to make music to the level and degree and put the amount of time into it that you want. So I think that in a certain place, when the money gets to a place where you can actually sustain and focus on the projects you want to focus on without having to worry about um, extra things on top of that to make ends meet in a financial sense, it's probably for the best and probably helps facilitate better work at a certain level you're starting to make way too much money and especially in this day and age where it's like if you get to a certain level of celebrity it's like there's more money in you doing like a doritos commercial or something <laughs> than there is in like making a new record and i think that probably starts to hurt your artistic drive to some degree when you start to realize that you're like i mean maybe i could like host the you know super bowl halftime show or something i mean that not a time i'm talking about playing it as an artist i just mean like you know you get to start to like host like some weird celebrity singing show or something. And then that would probably be way more money than like making a new record. And then yeah. I have to imagine that at that point you transfer to a place where you're not like uh, thinking as hard about your next artistic goal, because you might've kind of switched over to being like, I can live a hell of a lot easier life without making any art. Why would I even bother? Not, I mean, obviously from my perspective, I would say you should bother because you should just make cool stuff. And I think it's important to your life to make cool art, but obviously some people switch over to not caring about it as much anymore. It seems. Yeah. What, what I think is cool is, um, comedians, like no matter how big you are, like if you can't relate, well, if the audience can't relate to what you're talking about, you're not going to have a good set, you know? So like even the biggest comedians have to perform at comedy clubs or even smaller venues and certain comedy clubs so that they, and live life so that when they actually perform like an hour special or, or whatever it is that the audience can actually connect with them right yeah it's like that jerry seinfeld quote where he said that he's like the audience doesn't laugh at a reputation or like a reputation something to laugh at or something like that but i just think it is true that you get a big round of applause for just being there because they like you but then you have to actually deliver otherwise it's not going to be good yeah. it's the most intense for comedians it's kind of the same for bands too but only like bands that have a live-ish element. If you're just playing with backing tracks and stuff, which I'm, I'm not saying like I don't have a moral issue with that, but if you are, there's less of a chance of it bombing. It's more like this song is going to basically sound like it sounds and people love the song, so it's going to be good. Whereas as a live band, there's a little bit more potential possibility of things totally going off the rails or things being totally crazy. And if you're not playing well, the band the audience might be sitting there being like, you know what, I like this band, but they sound like shit tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean that's kind of that's sort of uh more or less it is sort of similar in that regard uh being a live band to being a comedian but yeah comedians have have it worse well i would say actually i don't know this might be a hot take to say i have a problem with backing tracks but i think i i i really care about live performances lately like yesterday um denzel curry came to town and actually let's say Probably the last few, probably the last three or four concerts I've gone to, I've left. Also because I'm impressed, I get like free tickets to stuff. So maybe if I paid, it would be a different thing. <laughs> but right, like yeah, yeah. I've um, like the past three or four concerts I've gone to, I've literally just left in the middle of the show. Even for like some bigger artists, because I'm like, this is not, this isn't really a performance. You're there's either backing tracks or you're not even. You're not even really performing. You're just like dancing or whatever for hip hop bass. Like even, but some bands even like, um, there was a few band shows I've gone to that I've left because I'm really in, big into performances lately. And like the time and dedication that goes into that. Like even like, um, 
for a hip hop show, like some artists will come to town and they won't have a DJ and they're like just playing the next song and then performing it. Like that's not, you didn't take an extra step to get a DJ or whatever, even, or for some hip hop shows, the DJ just goes and just plays some shitty, you know, like, so like, I think I've kind of outgrown going to hip hop shows unless there's someone that's actually taking time. I mean, it needs cool to be something that draws you in to some degree or makes it seem special. I mean, yeah. I saw one of the craziest shows I ever saw was uh, Yellow Man and Josie Wales doing like a dance hall set in like a church basement in Montreal for Pop Montreal. And they were backed up by like one of the biggest, I, I know he was, but he was must have been one of the like premier dance hall DJs in Montreal. So he had all the records, all the instrumental records. Yeah. And they were doing all the like live, live DJing stuff with the records and they were putting on a show and that show was awesome. I mean, there wasn't, there was no live music besides this, the actual, uh, you know, the actual singing or rapping or whatever you want to call it, the toasting, but there was also like, uh, but there, but there was just something that was really interactive. Obviously they're like calling out to like rewind the song to the top randomly and stuff. And then going right to the top and they're like all these different things that made it like cool. I don't know what the magic factor is, but I know what you mean. There's like, there's gotta be something that, makes it feel like there's something special happening right now. Yeah. So I don't really want to just watch like, you know, it's like ultimately if you're just going to play your backing track or even if a band is just playing like really by rote uh, and you're just going to then go through the motions, it's like, I might as well go home and listen to your record because it's probably a cooler performance than your like uninspired version of this. Because people can tell um, and people are paying money to go to these things. Like yeah, I, totally. I, just, I just saw Alt-J and it was fucking crazy. Portugal the Man opened for Alt J. Right. That, I saw some photos of the show that they did in LA, I think. Yeah. I, I just saw them in LA. That sh- I mean not in LA. You just said LA. I just saw them in right. Seattle. Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. <laughs> and that shit was awesome. Like the visuals and everything were super cool. But it's also because it's a live element with actually playing instruments. I just feel like when it's a hip hop show, there's a lot to be desired. Also, I think it's kind of a given. A lot of hip hop shows kind of are just not the best. I mean, hip hop show. Hip hop is like also just like a studio. It's yeah. like in its heart and in its most true form, it's kind of a studio art, which is tough. I mean, it's like in a way, it's like, you know, the uh, similarly and in a world that I know a little bit more about. But it's like the Beatles didn't play live shows when they were making their like most sound collagey, tripped out production, freak out records. Like they, when they were doing like "I Am the Walrus" and and. Uh, strawberry fields and stuff like that they never played those songs live mm. and if they did it could have been kind of cool maybe to see it done in like a more straightforward band way but you would have lost so much to what was happening in the on the record yeah um i suppose they could have done what a lot of hip-hop artists do and just go out and play live and play the backing tracks behind them but that also would have been kind of like well is this it's like it's a little tough it's like i mean i think there's so much the, the some styles of music i feel like are played sorry some styles of music i think are played live mostly because it's a financial gain to tour like touring is like can you make a lot of money on off touring so it's like well we got to figure out a way to do this stuff live but the music is made largely and its main inspiration is largely just as a studio experiment that was never really meant to be played live some forms of music are a little bit more uh geared towards being played live yeah um that can be maybe a little bit more fun to see live but you know there's also a million, there's, you know, there's a thousand different ways to skin a cat or whatever. So you can, there's, there's ways to make it work in every way, but it does take some creativity sometimes to make a live show that actually connects. hundred percent. 
Well, man, I'm excited for your new project. I checked out your song today, Either Love or Money. Is that Did I get it right? Yeah, Neither Love, No Money. Neither. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Do people, is, it, is it neither or neither? I say neither. Not, I say neither. Because you're Canadian? But the funny thing <laughs> is that I think that it's like depends on the situation. And I'm trying to think about if I even say neither or neither in the song. But when I say the title, I always say neither. But I'm not sure. There's no rule to this. Either way works. Yeah. Well, from just from that track, I'm excited for your self-titled album to come out June 10th. And um, you got to come to Seattle. I think I'm coming yeah, to LA soon too, but um, I'd love to see you in Seattle sometime. Um, right on. I think we have a show. I think we. I think we announced a show today where, where I think we're going to be playing in Seattle with. Uh, I'm not actually going to be in which. I'm going to be opening for which Ooh. my band in Seattle. I don't remember the date exactly, but it's in it's in June. Um, so that'll be uh, something to look forward to. Hell yeah! There we go. Well, I end the podcast by asking if you have any final words or advice for up-and-coming artists creators influencers and anything you'd like to say to the world i wish i had something better but i'll, I'll you know just stick with it i guess if you're <laughs> doing, if you're doing if you're doing it for genuine reasons and you really feel uh passionate need to do it and uh and uh you know an honest sense that you're doing something that's uh worthwhile to you at least and hopefully to other people then i think that uh, in my experience uh, I think that good things will come of that. And uh, so if that's what you're doing, then, then keep on doing it. Yes, sir. Stick with it, guys. And what is the easiest way for people to reach you? Um, Probably, I mean, I got Instagram, I got Twitter, I got Facebook. So those those three. Uh, it's probably an email somewhere kicking around. That if you really want to track it down, you can probably email me too. But, you know, any of those. And it's... Michael with an E A or an A E? A E M I C H A E L R A U L T. That's how you spell my name. Oh yeah. What is the most popular version? Is it A or E A first? Like which A E is the traditionally right one, I think. But some people are named Michael with an E A. It's basically a typo that's become a name. But you know. <laughs> there we go. Well, this has been the NAS podcast with Michael Ralt.